I said before, I don't really know how long we're going to be going in this series, uh, but there's so much uh, in the scriptures about how God used people to do extraordinary things. I said last week that I want my life to count. I don't want to go down in history and somebody have to figure out who is Gary Bailey. What did he do? What did he accomplish in life? Uh, We talked about last week that we want to make a difference. We want to do something great for God. We want to stretch our faith and go to the next level. I don't want to just live an ordinary life. I don't want to just say that he was saved and he did a couple of good things. I want them to miss me like crazy. I want y'all to say, Pastor Gary, he was just an awesome man of God that did great things. And I wanted to be able to say it about you as well. I want your life to count for something. And so, um, so we're going to be continuing in that series, and, uh, and today we're going to be ca- talking about overcoming the opposition. Overcoming the opposition. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah, and we're going to be focusing on him this morning. Uh, Nehemiah chapter number one, and we're going to be reading ten verses there. Nehemiah chapter number one. When you get there, you can say amen or somebody say bless God or say something to let me know that you're in the house. Hallelujah. Uh, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Shishan, the citadel. The Hanai, one of my brethren, came with me from Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept. And mourn for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, everybody say do them. Though some of you were cast out to the furthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now, these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Father, we thank you this morning for your word of truth. Father, I pray that this word would penetrate hearts, inspire, Father God, and motivate us to do something wonderful and something great. Give us a faith level, Lord God, to take us where we've never been before. Take us deeper. Take us deeper into the things of God. 
uh, Lord God, and make us and mold us and shape us, Lord God, until we come to a place that we're totally surrendered to you in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I think it goes without saying that any time that you purpose in your heart, those of you who are really serious about the Lord, and I assume all of you are, you wouldn't be here, uh, who love the Lord and who are, compa- who are passionate about the things of God, that any time that any one of you decide that you're going to do something great for God, you're going to face some opposition. How do we know what I'm talking about? In fact, if you read the scriptures, what you find is that uh, there's story and account after account of whether it was David or whether it was Moses or, or whether it was um, uh, the Apostle Paul. They all had to deal with opposition and obstacles. Yes, they were called of God, but Paul said, look, I've been beat to half to death. In fact, there have been times I've been left in the middle of the ocean. There were times when I was hungry and I didn't have anything to eat. In fact, I got locked up a whole bunch of times. Yet God called me into ministry. Think of David, who God called. And God says, David is the man after my own heart. But yet, David called of God, anointed of God. Then once he get anointed of God, when did all the trials start happening? He's on the run. He becomes a fugitive from Saul. So we see this pattern in Scripture. That every time that somebody wanted to step out and do something great for God, there were obstacles in life. Uh, that's why the Bible says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials that come upon you. But in reality, we do think it's strange, don't we? Because we always ask God the question, why really did this have to happen to me, of all people? Like somehow we're privileged, right? But do you not realize that God set the whole thing up to be that way? How do you like sports? I love sports, be it basketball, football. I even, I don't like, I even love hockey. Because I, cause you ever seen hockey live? Incredible thing to see. But any sport that is played, what makes us want to sit down and even take the time and watch it is that there's always opposition. If you're a football player, there's always going to be a defense on the field that is going to try to stop you from scoring. And if you're the Dallas Cowboys, they find it hard to do because they always score anyway. Hallelujah. I thought I plugged that in for free. Okay, I'm sorry. But what we, what we find is, is that we are, whether it's basketball, there's always opposition, right? There's always somebody there to try to stop the other team from scoring. If you like golf, you have to deal with the golf course. And you got to deal with a thick rough. And, I, and you go to some of these golf courses, and you see all these sand traps right around the greens. And I'm like, why well, you got to put all the sand traps right in front of the green? I want to land my ball there. Can you, like, move them out of my way? But it's something about the human spirit that we absolutely love to see people overcome some stuff. You know, when you see your team score football after uh, your team score a touchdown, after being smashed in the mouth and, you know, being knocked back and being penalized and having all these setbacks, when you finally see them come to a place where they score a touchdown, you go, yes! But could you imagine how boring life would be if, if you know, every now and then you, you go to some of these games, you see them warm up, 
and there's no opposition. It just, it's so boring. Could you imagine that all sports and everything in life, it was just, you know, you had no opposition. Think about how boring life would be. But you enjoy things that much more when you had to overcome some stuff in order to get there. When you had to sweat a little bit. When you had to cry a little bit. Yes, and when you had to struggle a little bit because it makes victory that much more sweeter. Paul said it this way. Paul said, I've learned to rejoice in my infirmities and in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, I find that I'm strong. He said, I press toward to mark uh, according to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, I press toward the mark. What, why is he pressing? Because there's some resistance. There's some resistance. That's why Jesus says, you can be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, tribulation, but you can be of good cheer. And, and, and nobody experienced more obstacles than Jesus. I mean, you're talking about some obstacles. He had a whole bunch of them. But he just kept on overcoming to now he's sitting on the right hand of the father, Amen. interceding on our behalf. Right. And so we, we, we see this and we, we rejoice and we, we look at these folks and we look at the thrill of victory and, and we understand and, and we celebrate with them. But, but, but somehow we don't make the correlation that God have designed life to be the same way. That in life, the whole thing has been set up for you to overcome some stuff. You know, obstacles and trials and tribulations and difficulty were placed in your life on purpose. I didn't get a whole lot of amens on that, but it's the truth. Because, you know, God couldn't remove that, right? The Bible said it pleased the Father to bruise Jesus. Some of God's greatest servants had to overcome some stuff. Had to overcome hardship. And, and, and we get in this situation and we think, well, God must not be in it because, because, you know, it's really, really hard. I find that really in actuality that if God is in it, it's going to be hard. Amen. If it's so easy that there's no opposition and the enemy is not fighting that thing, I gotta, you got to ask some questions. Is God really in this? Because I know sometimes it get hard for us, don't it? I mean, we're struggling, we're believing God, and we're hoping, and we're having these things. And boy, sometimes it just get hard. But you know what? When God finally comes through for you, boy, to see the joy on your face. To see how you rejoice when you get healed from sickness. To see how you overcame a difficult situation. To see you at one moment crying and being heart being broken. And see you at the next moment overcoming stuff and rejoicing in jubilation. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing more sweeter than that. Nothing more sweeter than that. The whole thing was set up for us to have to overcome some obstacles in life. And how many know that sometimes those, those challenges don't just come from the outside world. Sometimes they come from within. Sometimes it's hard relationally as we try to love each other. We, we try to grow together and we try to, we kind of try to be one together. How many know it's not an easy task? And I've been in environments and I've been in church settings where the people were at each other's throats. Everybody, somebody was talking about somebody this and somebody that. What's wrong with them and why are they like that and what's up with them? Girl, let me tell. You know, I'm not picking on the ladies, you know. But, you know, it just sounds right to say, girl, let me tell you. You know, not realizing that 
Jesus said it this way, a house divided cannot stand. So I already know that I don't give myself a chance if I'm divided. If I'm going to cut one another or cut my brother or cut my sister, I already know that I'm already starting behind the eight ball. I already realized that. And so we come to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a terrific leader. In fact, all of you who aspire to be in leadership, study the life of Nehemiah. You're talking about a man who had great leadership skills and ability. The people of God, the setting here is that the people of God had been deported because of their disobedience to God in the land of Babylon or Persia. And Nehemiah was called a cupbearer. And in those days, a cupbearer's job was to make sure that the king didn't get poisoned. So then if the, if the king was about to drink a drink, uh, he would give it to the cupbearer first and say, well, you drank it first. So if the, if, the, if the drink was poisoned, guess who took the hit? It was a cupbearer. Now, it was customary that when the cupbearer came before the king, the cupbearer always had to have a delightful countenance. The cupbearer couldn't just walk up before the king looking all depressed, looking all sad, and looking all, you know, disgusted and mad. And the cupbearer always had to approach the king with a big smile on his face, even if he wasn't happy. But Nehemiah, who, was, who landed there, he was a cupbearer to the king. There were some people that were still over in Jerusalem that were left behind. And Nehemiah inquired and say, he talked to one of the brothers and he said, uh, what's going on in Jerusalem? Can you tell me what's happening over there? I said, brother, I'm going to tell you something. That place is in shambles. The walls are torn down. The city has been burned up. The people are a mess. And Nehemiah gets this feeling in his heart and he becomes burdened for the people of God. It breaks his heart to the point that he began to fast and he began to pray and to seek God about going back. Something moved him that he wanted to go back and do something about it. So Nehemiah goes up to the king. You remember I said, you know, how you had to approach the king. Well, he goes up before the king and he is just the opposite. His countenance is sad. And the king looks at him and says, because, you know, they could really have him executed. King looked at him and said, what's, what's wrong with you? He said, well, how, you know, how can I be happy? My people, my people are in shambles. My city, the place where I came from is in ruins. And king, could you please grant me leave so that I can go back and help my people? And God gave him favor. Somebody say favor. favor. He got favor. God gave him favor. And so. The king says, you can go back. In fact, gave him a leave of absence. He said, just fill out your leave slip and go and take care of business. He decided he's going to go back out there and he's going to help build, rebuild the walls that have been torn down. And this is the setting by which we find this story. So Nehemiah gets back to Jerusalem. And the first thing he does when he gets back to Jerusalem, he begins to go out and Take a look at the damage and the rubbish and everything that had happened. And the scripture says, if you read it, it said that Nehemiah didn't at first, he didn't tell everybody what was going on. He didn't tell everybody what God had placed in his heart. Uh, by the way, for free, not everybody's going to be happy about what God put in your heart. I just thought I'd throw that out there to you. You know, you can't always share your dreams and your vision with everybody. Because there are a lot of what I call dream killers out there. Amen. They ain't doing nothing and they don't want you to do nothing. They just want to pull you down. If you try. That's why whenever God put a dream and a vision in my heart, and, and you should be the same way, be careful who you talk to. Because they'll be trying to throw some water. You can't do that. 
You can't do that. You don't have. Where are you going to get the money to pull that off? I mean, nobody's really going to listen to you. And in fact, you're past your prime, and, and you know you don't really have the help that you need. And yada yada. yada. Dream killers. Don't listen to them. Nehemiah found the right people to talk to. He talked to some of the nobles of the land. He said, look. He said, look, here's what we need to do. We need to, everybody say we. We, we. We need to come together and we need to go back. And we need to go over here to our city of Jerusalem and we need to rebuild the walls. And our city is torn. In fact, if you can look at verse number, uh, I think, uh, chapter, uh, let's see here, chapter number two. Chapter 2, verse 17. And this is what Nehemiah said to him. Verses 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see this distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies in waste. And its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. And also of the king's word that he has spoken to me. And so they said, let us rise up and build. They, then they set their hands to this good work, and they began to build. The first thing, as we talked about last week, that Nehemiah, right, had a vision. God had given him a burden. I hear people sometimes say to me, well, Pastor, I don't know what it is that God called me to do. What is it that I'm supposed to, be do, to do? I mean, what is my purpose? And I find, and I found this out in walking with the Lord for almost 20 years, that oftentimes your vision, your dream, or your purpose is going to be somehow connected to what you're burdened about. Amen. Nehemiah had a burden. He had a burden about this thing. He said, I need to do this. And the first thing he does is he assembled a group of people. I want y'all to stay with him. I'm going to over this. He assembled a group of people around him. They come around him and they decide to help him and join with him in the effort to build the wall. Because how many know he could not do it by himself? So the people get excited. They get motivated. God is going to do some great things. We got a leader who's come back. He's now the governor. Boy, this is going to be great. And guess what happens? The first thing that happened is Nehemiah is met with opposition. <laughs> Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. But it so happened when Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall. Now, Samballot represents a dream killer being used as Satan to try to squash a dream and a vision, a purpose from God. That he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Can you see this? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubber stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, even a fox goes up. If a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. I want you, I want you, I want you to understand this. They're excited about what God is about to do. And perhaps there's been something that you have been excited about what God is going to do. And the first thing that happened is you're faced with opposition. You're faced with somebody that is saying to you, you cannot do it. In fact, these guys got so disrespectful and so indignant. First of all, they were very angry and they were mad. 
And the one brother said, look at these little weak people. Do they really think? What do they think that these little weak-looking people, do they think that they can come over here and they can rebuild the wall? I mean, do they really think that they're going to accomplish this? And then one guy even began to mock him and said, look, so even if a fox tap his feet on the wall, that whole thing is going to come down. They begin to laugh. But, you, but I want you to see the parallel. It was when they decided to do something great for God, they faced opposition. How many of you have ever been there? When you have determined, I'm going to do something with God. And immediately, not, it, it, I mean, this didn't take long, did it? We prayed, God is in this, God is in this. No doubt God had given Nehemiah vision. Nehemiah was called of God. And yet there was opposition. No matter what it is that you try to do, whether it's building a ministry, whether you want to, want to, whether you want to be a mom, or whether you want to build some kind of business, oftentimes if God is in it, opposition is going to come rather quickly. And what's the purpose to try to stop you from doing what God has placed in your heart to do? And we look at that sometime and we say, well, maybe God ain't. Maybe God has left me. No, he didn't. Remember, it's all a part of the plan. That's the way the game is supposed to be played. So Samballot and Tobiah, they are there to try to stop them from doing the work that God called them to do. And you think for one moment that as we are preparing to go into our new facility, I mean, you know that there's going to be opposition. There are going to be people out there that's going to say, all kinds, what, what are these, these weak, what, are these, what is this church doing coming up in our shopping center? What do they think? that they, Why are they coming over here? Do they really think that they're going to be able to pull this off? Oh, yes, we can. No pun intended. In Jesus' name, we can do this. Look at the name and say, we can do this. See, you know, we're going to face some opposition, but here's what happened. When we face the opposition, we don't need to get all fearful and say, oh, God, start to panic. We just need to say, that's okay. My, my God is able. We're going, to, we're going to overcome this. Every trial, every difficulty. You know why? Because we're together. See, they're together. And the enemy is there to try. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. So, you know, if you're going to try to, you don't think for one minute that you're going to talk about that you're going to change lives, that you're going to help break bondages in people's lives, restore families and, and, and help people and, and get them off addiction and drugs and bring them into the kingdom. You think that you're going to walk in here and talk about impacting the city, changing the world for Jesus, and the devil is just going to sit by and say, go ahead, have fun. Please. He's going to wreak havoc in your life. In fact, I believe that those that are kingdom-minded, that many of the problems that you find even in your own home is a bigger picture because the devil wants to get you so jacked up in every area of your life. That's why he attacked marriages and families and all this stuff. You know why? He wants to get you so jacked up that the last thing you think about is winning souls. Which is for the Christian. That's what we suppose everything is supposed to be about. That's why you're still here because if it were not, then God would just take you home. But you're here because there is a mission. And the devil wants to get you so jacked up in every area of your life that you cannot function. And the last thing you think about is that church stuff. Somewhere I read the Bible says Christ is your life. I died. So I ain't supposed to be having one. Whatever I got is his. Paul says I've been crucified with Christ. Not I, but Christ. He lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I don't belong to myself. I belong to him. And so immediately they face opposition. Here's the next point. 
I love this point here. It says the people had a mind to work. Look at Nehemiah chapter number four, verse six. I think you can read it on the screen there. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Understand that. So now they had built the wall and they hadn't hung the doors yet. So the work was not completed. But when it said the people had a mind to work, they understood right off the bat. The people understood that this ain't going to be easy. I mean, anything that's worth fighting for ain't going to be easy. You tell a guy who wins an NBA championship. I was watching Lakers. Broke my heart. They lost last night. But, you know, you know, they won a championship last year. You go and talk to them. They, they will tell you it was hard. Playing 80-some games, my knees hurt. I got all kind of problems. I mean, you know, they got a, it's hard to win. See, the people had a mind to work mean that they were focused. They said, okay, this is what God's called me to do, and I'm going to stay focused. I'm not going to stop until I accomplish what he said. I, I, I understand the level of sacrifice that I'm going to have to make. Because when it said the people had a mind to work, that means they weren't about distractions. They didn't have a whole lot of time to be wasted. I don't have time to sit at home and look at as the stomach turns. The young and the, what do you call it now? The restless? I don't know. What, what, what are the soap operas now? The, the shiftless? I, I don't have a whole lot of time. Don't have a whole lot of time for just doing nothing. I got, I, got, I got something God's called me to do. I got a work to do. God has called me to a great work. Jesus said, Jesus said it this way. Jesus says, I got a I got to fulfill. He said, I am distressed until I accomplish what God's called me to do. That's a person with passion, baby. A person with passion where they say, you know what? I'm in this thing because God's called me to do it and nothing's going to stop me. The people together had a mind to work. They said, I ain't going nowhere until I accomplish what God called me to do. So look, I'm focused. I am determined and nothing is going to stop me. Why? Because God has placed a call on my life. And I have a mind to work. That means I'm going to make sure that I do what is necessary to fulfill the mission that God has given me. Now, to some people, they'll look at you like you're crazy. See, sometimes when you call to God, not everybody understands that when God calls you to do something. Well, what's wrong with you? Well, you seem like you're just so preoccupied. I'm just, I got a calling on my life. I, I got a mind to work. God's called me to do something. And I got to fit. I got to do it. I got to do it. I, it's, I, I got to do this. The people had a mind to work. You see, teamwork was at work here. And then we talked about last week how we care about each other, how the church is supposed to be this big organization of people that love and we care for each other. We support one another. In other words, when, when, my, when my sister uh, Peggy, when she gets promoted on a job, but I can I get excited with her. If she get blessed, they get a big old house, and I live in a hut. I'm excited for you and your big house. In fact, when can I come over? Amen. You understand what I'm saying? When we learn to rejoice with each other, we, we, listen, I am committed to your success. You know why? And you should be committed to my success because we're in this thing together. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. I said last week I'm coming to some of your houses and going to your refrigerator. Some of you looked at me like, no, 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 you're not going to do that. Now, I exaggerate a little bit to give you so you can catch the point. 
that we're in this thing, that, that it was amazing what they were able to accomplish. They had to build a wall. And you can imagine, they were, you know, Sam Ballant and Tobias, the folks that were yelling and screaming at them and telling them, telling them what they couldn't do, they didn't have, they didn't have a whole lot of the, the resources that was needed in order to accomplish this. That's why he looked at them, he got mad. But I, I really think that he got mad because he saw something in those people. He saw that they were unified. He saw that they were in one accord. He saw the possibility that if they try to go out and build this wall, they just might be foolish enough to get it done. Something might just happen. So, you know, what we need to do we need to we need to get them off that wall, get them thinking about something else. We need to attack them in other areas of their lives. We need to make their life a living hell so that they cannot be focused on what God's called them to do. The next point is that Nehemiah, he encouraged the work to continue in the midst of threats from the enemy. He encouraged, look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 12 verses, Nehemiah 4 chapter 12 through 16. Nehemiah 4 chapter verses 12 through 14. Look at this. Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 12 through 16. I get a little excited sometimes. Y'all pray for me. So it was, watch this, this is good. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. In other words, they're going to kill us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the opening, and I set the people according to their families. With their swords, with their spears, with their bows. I, and I looked and, I, and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shield, and the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Now, 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 now how many know that the Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? The Bible also says that Satan goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, now watch this. Now, you know, I love, I told y'all before, I love lions. That's why I got one right over there, because it's symbolic of Jesus, the lion of a tribe of Judah, authority, kingship. Oh, I love it. So when I go to the zoo, you know the first thing I'm looking for. Show me the king. Show me the lion. But I've seen it now, and I've never been that close to a lion, but I've seen it on TV enough that a lot of times when a lion wants to get his prey, a lot of times they'll roar with such an authority and get them scared, cause them to freeze. Uh, you know, the, the, the devil is just like that. You get, you, you get a calling, like, you, you, you know, you get a call and God's called you to do a work and you're working, you're working, you're working. And the devil come and say something stupid like you ain't, you, you're going to die. You get, a, you get a, feel a little lump here and there. Oh, the sky's falling. You ain't going to make it. You're going to die. See, he's starting to threaten you, put you in fear. Oh, if you step out and you give this, you ain't going to make it. Don't you do that. You, you can't. You ain't going to make it. Fear. See, the devil wants to get you to a point that you act out of what? Fear. Because if I get you scared, you ain't going to do much. But somewhere the Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. But love, power, and what? A sound mind. 
But the enemy, so, so what they're trying to do, they're telling the people as they're doing the work together, I want you to see how these people, they, they, Nehemiah was just saying, look, y'all just keep doing what God's called you to do. He said, look, if y'all keep working, then we got some snipers. They're going to they're gonna snuff some of y'all out. If y'all keep on. So Nehemiah said, okay, whatever. He said, right, here's what we do. Some of y'all, I want y'all to hammer. Some of the other I want you to hold. Some of the other folks, I want you to hold the spears and the swords. And if they come up on them, we're going to take care of them. But other than that, we're going to keep doing the work that God's called us to do. Because the whole purpose was what? To stop them from doing the work that God had placed in their heart to do. And so the enemy does that to you today. He does it to us today. He wants to get us operate, operating in fear. And you know, everything about God, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Right. How many know fear is not of God? Right. You, know, you know, there's a script in the Bible, in the New Testament, and it talks about how God gave these servants uh, gifts and talent, gave them resources. A couple of them went and they... They, they invested the resources and they gained more with the talents that they had. But there was this one joker who said, Lord, he came back. The Lord came back and gave, asked for, give an account for what you did with what I gave you. He said, Lord, I knew you were the hard man. I, I, I knew you were hard. And, you know, and, and here's what I did. I took the gifts, the stuff you gave me, and I just kind of hid it and I didn't do anything with it because I was afraid that I might lose it. He said, you wicked and slow for servant. Took it from him, gave it to the others, cast him in the out of darkness. Why? Because he was afraid and he was in fear. His fear paralyzed him. See, here's the thing, folks. See, this is why this is so exciting. I'd rather be in an environment where I try to do stuff for God and fail than to just sit back and do nothing and talk about what might be. Amen. That's good. Anybody hear me? I want to be, listen, I want to be reaching and shooting for the stars. I want to be going for some stuff. And if I fail, baby, what happened? I fail, but somewhere in the Bible says the righteous falls seven times, but they keep getting right back up. So what can I do, fail? So I'm going to sit back and do nothing? Oh, no, the devil is a liar. That's right. See, I'd rather be out there saying, Lord, I'm going to take some risks. How many know in faith, you got to take risks, baby? That's right. You got to be a risk taker. You ain't going to accomplish nothing great for God being safe and very, very careful. No, you have to be a risk taker. That's the way, that's how faith operates. That you step outside of your comfort zone. Yes, I'm a little bit afraid. I'm a little bit scared. I've done all my homework. But you know what, God? I, I, I'm going to go with this because I don't think Jesus is going to have too much of a problem with me when I meet him. He says, well, well Gary, why, why did you walk out on the water? You, know, you remember Peter when he walked on the water? Peter got out there, didn't he? See, everybody else looking at Peter thinking, but you crazy. You're going to sink. But at least Peter said, look, I'd rather be out there trying to walk on water and fail than to sit up in the boat with you (laughs) and your faithless selves. (laughs) At least he got out of the boat and said, look, I'm going to give it a shot. And the Lord said, he said, Lord, bid me come. And Peter was walking on water. He got a little afraid. He sunk. But uh, if you read the book of Acts, it doesn't end right there with Peter, does it? Peter became the leader of the apostles. Did he not? See, he got back up. Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved in one shot. Amen. You, you see what I'm saying? So some of y'all just love to be careful. You're afraid to take risks. Mm. See, God has called you to be a risk taker. He didn't call you to be stupid. He called you to be a risk taker. See, faith sometimes calls you to step outside of your comfort zones. Right. And you have to kind of step out there and say, Lord, I don't know how this thing will turn out. But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to try it because I believe you called me. Right. I believe you're behind me in this. Yeah. 
I believe it. And, and, and like I said, I don't think Jesus is going to look at you and say, well, why did you do that? Well, Lord, I, I, I would say to the Lord, Lord, you know what reason I did that? I failed. But you know why, Lord? Because I was trusting in you. You think the Lord is going to have too much of a problem with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> ain't going to have no problem with that. So why not? Listen, you only got about 70 years if you're, if you're blessed. So why not go for the gusto? Hallelujah. Why not take it to the next level? Why not do something great for God? Why not make your life count? Why not get up off your, uh, get up off your table and say, Lord, I want to be great in the kingdom. Why not do something awesome for God? Why not leave your mark on the planet? Why not step out in faith? See, Nehemiah, see, there will always be those who will be standing around you, threatening you, trying to put you in fear, telling you what you can't do. I had enough of those jokers, buddy. My life is moving on. I'm going on to bigger and greater things. Hallelujah. I'm believing God for greater things. I I don't have time for people to don't do that. You know, okay, cool. Got that. Appreciate it. If I fail, I fail. You remember Esther? She went before the king. What did she say? She, 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 had a, she, said, she said, look, I got to go before the king. She could have got killed, too. She wasn't supposed to go before the king unless she get invited. She said, look, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. I'm going. And because of that faith and that tenacity, she saved a whole nation of people because all the Jews were about to be extinct. And because of her faith, she said, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going for the king. If it kills me, well, what if it fails? Y'all go in the building. You can't afford to do it. Why? Okay. We failed. So what? But we ain't going to fail. That's right. We ain't going to fail. I'm telling you right now. I ain't, I'm not, are you worried? No. I'm not worried. Faith without works is dead, baby. Put some works to your faith. Amen. If you really believe it, put some works to your faith. Okay, God, I'm, I believe it. I want to do this. That's good. Ah, that shut up. Oh, shit. I'm going to keep moving along. So, and this, it said the next point. This was not about brick and mortar. See, I want you to get that. Look at verse number 14 in chapter 4 of Nehemiah. See, they were building the walls, right? But it wasn't because they just wanted some purity walls. <laughs> so everybody could come by and say, look how beautiful the walls are. Oh, look how wonderful this sanctuary is, but no people in it. You, you, you with me, right? Come on. Amen. All right. In verse number 14, look, it says, uh, chapter 4 in Nehemiah, and I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight. Look, look at the neighbor say, fight. Fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, and for your houses. This is about the lives of people. Whenever we do ministry and we lose focus of what it's really all about, then we become ineffective. Everything that Jesus did was about people. That's why the Bible calls us living stones. See, we're living, see, 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 we're living stone, chosen by God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we might show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. <laughs> see, we're, we're, see, we're living stones. It's not about what we're fighting for is those people out there who don't know Jesus. That's why we're going into this new facility. It's because we want to reach people. We want to see families here. We want to see people brought to Jesus. We want to see those who are in bondage be set free. Because we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world because Jesus established the church. And so we're fighting for something. 
See, you know, what, what does the word fight mean? When he says fight for your sons and your daughters, you know what fight mean? That you don't expect to be punched in the mouth. But fight back. Fight means you're going to have to wrestle. It ain't easy out here trying to win souls. See, see, see some of y'all have come here, not everybody's here this morning, but, but, but some of y'all have come into a season in, our, in the life of this church where, where, where you're about to do something extraordinary. You got, you, this thing is going to surge, it's going to blow up, and you're going to be sitting right in the midst of it saying, oh, God, look what God did. Amen. Oh, my Amen. goodness. And you're going to be saying, I came right at the right time. I just walked. And I have a chance because I've been just living my life. It's just been boring for me. I've been going through the motions, but something is about to come alive. I'm about now ready to step into my purpose, to step into my destiny. I'm about to grow up, hallelujah, into what God has called me to do. Hallelujah. I'm preaching better than y'all letting on right now. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's about people. See, watch this. Now, the next point. We only have eight points. This is number seven. So I know, you know I just messed it up, but Nehemiah didn't compromise. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Now, it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Jershom, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall. Watch this. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And that there were no breaks in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sambalat, here he is again, everybody say dream killer, and Gershom sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Uno. Well, first of all, somebody asked you to meet them in Uno, but you know, they're probably not a good place to go. <laughs> Uno, well, is that Ono or Uno? What is it? Ono. You know, meet me in Ono. I mean, that's like prophetic. Oh no. Somebody <laughs> meet me in oh no. Oh no, I'm not gonna meet you there. Oh no. You, you see the prophecy in that? See, that's right. Y'all never saw that in that scripture, did you? Oh no. <laughs> but they, but but watch this. He said, but they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them. You see, that's why I say Nehemiah was a strong leader, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. And here's the question you ask. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? <laughs> you see what Nehemiah is saying? So now they're trying to get Nehemiah to compromise. Well, you know, why don't you come on over here? You know, you've been working too hard. You know, you don't need to be in that church that much and doing all that working over there. I mean, in fact, you know, you've been praying to me. You've been reading. Why don't you just come on over here and talk to us a little bit? And, and, and Nehemiah said, no, you're just trying to get me to stop. Mm-hmm. You see, I hope y'all understand what I mean when I say this. Because I've been walking with the Lord long enough to know that there are just some folk that you just got to leave alone. Amen. Amen. I've learned that the hard way. There, you see, there, there are some of those out there that their only desire is to pull you down. They are toxic. And everybody knows who they are. They're just people that their only desire is that they, they ain't doing nothing. They don't want you to do nothing. They ain't got nothing going on. And every time you talk to them, it's like, oh, it's like a drag on me. There are some people like that in your life that, 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 that they just, they're there to just stop you. But Nehemiah said, why should I come down? 
and stop doing the work to talk to you. I mean, how are you going to help me fulfill what God's called me to do? Well, what angle are you coming from? What's your angle? I mean, what's up with you? Why why do I need to come down and stop? I'm sorry. I can't do that. I'm not coming to, oh, no, with you. No, I'm not going to do that. Not going to do that. Because, see, there are some people that, and and, and God will show them to you. You know who they are. You can be nice. Listen, be nice to everybody. Love everybody. But don't hang out with just anybody. See, I got a lot of people. I, I'm, I, I, everybody I meet, I say, hallelujah, thank, bless God, thank God. And I pray for you. I, pray for me, Pastor. Okay, I pray for you. But I ain't a whole bunch of people I spend a lot of time with. It's like, because they've they been hanging out in oh no land. I'm sorry. I just, just got to be real. There's some people, are, and I've learned that the hard way. There's some folks that just oh no. And I don't have a lot of time for oh no's. I got something God called me to do. Baby, either you're with me or you're not. But this is where I'm going. Do you want to come along with me? Now, if you're really my friend, you're going to support me in what God's called me to do. You're going to be right there by my side. You're going to be there to push me into my destiny. But Nehemiah said, no, y'all just, you're just trying to stop me. You, you, we ain't got nothing in common. Well, what are you trying to do? See, and when people want to hang out like that and, and you know, and, and if they don't really know the Lord, I just start talking about Jesus. And they'll go away real quick. Either they're going to come to Jesus or they're going to leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Last point. Nehemiah was falsely accused. Look at the, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Look at this. Then Sambalus sent his servants to me as before. The fifth time. <laughs> now, now, <laughs> now, you see, this, this guy, he just won't stop, will he? He's going to do whatever he can to keep him from doing what God has called them to do. So a fifth time. And look at verse 6. So it is written. So he had a letter. So somebody sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. And it was written. It is reported among the nations, and Gershom says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall, that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now, these matters will be reported to the king, so come. Therefore, let us consult together. Watch this. Then I said to him, saying, no such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. <laughs> How many of you have ever been lied on before? Uh-huh. No, but boy, I tell you what, one thing that bothers me, and I, I struggle with that, because, you know, for me, everything is about integrity. You know, I, I mean, I work hard to try to be a man of integrity and honest and be open, because I know how the enemy is. But here they are now. They, they're threatening him even more. Well, you, if you don't come down here and talk with us, then we're going to send the king a letter and tell him that you're trying to rebel. Now, he had been granted leave, by the way, by the king to go and do what he was doing. So now Sam Ballard was saying, well, we're going to let the king know you're just trying to build your own little kingdom. You don't care nothing about those people. You are just trying to build your own little kingdom. And Nehemiah put him in his place. He said, you invent that stuff in your own mind. Man, I ain't got time for you. And he kept on boom, boom, boom. You see, the Bible says that, and I love this psalm. You can write it down. I don't have to read it. And the Bible says that in Psalm 37, 6, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. So, you know, when somebody lie on you, well, don't sweat it. 
The Bible says rejoice and be exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven when men talk about you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. He said, you can skip and jump, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. So you don't have to worry about trying to defend yourself when people lie on you. If you know you walked in your integrity, God will vindicate the righteous. God will vindicate those who walk in integrity and in I. You, you, you want to lie on me? Okay, cool. See, my heart is pure. I go to bed at night. My conscience is clean. Say what you want to say about me. That was Nehemiah. That I ain't, I'm not going to worry about it. Not going to worry about it. But what Nehemiah kept doing, he kept the people together. They stayed in unity. They followed their leader. And guess what? Look at the last point and we're done. The work was finished. Look at the neighbor say finished. <laughs> Look at chapter 6, verses 15 through 16. Now, this is powerful. This is the most powerful of, of all the verses. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elo in 52 days. How many days? 52 days they came and built the, whole, built the walls back around the city. And it happened when all of our enemies heard. In other words, when all of the people heard who said they couldn't do it. How many know there are always going to be some naysayers out there who are telling you what you can't do? When all of the naysayers heard, watch this, heard of it, all the nation around us saw these things, they were very disheartened. In other words, they lost hope. They were like, they couldn't stop them. They really pulled this thing off. Watch this. They lost, they got disheartened in their own eyes, for they had perceived that this work was done by our God. Ooh, Jesus. Ah. Let me tell you something. All I need to know is that God is with me. All I need to know is that whatever I'm doing, whatever activity, whatever I'm doing, God is right there with me because I cannot fail. He said, everybody who saw this thing, they saw this. They saw the walls and they realized, oh, God could have did that. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to leave this alone. I'm going to leave this alone. It's like the children of Israel. You remember right before they went into their promised land? That all the enemies, people started hearing, said the children of Israel, they're small, but boy, they're wiping out some huge nations. You know, and, 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 and so the Bible said all the nations around them, they heard their fame went out and they got scared. They mess with them because they realized, boy, your arms are too short to box with God, baby. Right. See, when see, we want things to be done. You see, we want this thing to be done in such a way that people look at it and say, God did it. That's right. Look what God did. I want to be able to say, look back at would look at each and one, every one of you a couple years, say, look, look, look. You remember you. Do you remember? Look. What God did. And all the naysayers and all the people that sit back and talk and say whatever they want to say. God brought you the victory. And they accomplished this work. They finished this wall because they were unified. They were one. And they stayed together. How many know we got to stay together? We got to fight together. We got to pray together. We got to struggle together. But we got to be committed to the task that God's called us as a people. And we're also going to be committed to one another, what God has called us to do as individuals. I mean, you know that because we're one. We're one. Amen. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.